Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first, and their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. I have as my guest Stephen Barry. Uh, Chief Business Development Guy at Viome, V-I-O-M-E. And we did a interview with uh, Naveen from Viome uh, a few weeks back, and he was so interesting and so enthused that I wanted to uh, get back with Viome and talk to them some more. And uh, my guest today is, has a great track record uh, in this industry, a long, long history. So welcome, Stephen. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Rich. I'm happy to, happy to be back here. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we'll get into uh, your work at Viome in a second, but tell me a little bit about your background. I know you've been pretty influential in this space. Uh, my journey has always been around really uh, how I can help create things that help people make better decisions about, about their health. Um, how can we provide information that allows them to make the choices um, that will allow them to uh, improve their health both short-term-wise and, and also long-term-wise. Um, I'm a physician, uh, scientist, uh, New York Times uh, uh, author, best-selling author. So this is, this is kind of what I've done. And and about 40 years ago, I became very interested in the microbiome, which we can talk a little bit about what that means, that word, um, and its relationship to health. And in the past four or five years, those relationships have now become very crystal clear and, and very, very important. And how did you end up working at uh, Viome? Uh, well, uh, when I when I retired, um, I found the Genova Diagnostics, um, which is a clinical lab uh, that does functional medicine testing uh, around the world. And I retired from that um, I guess actually about 12, 13 years ago. And then the Chinese government invited me to come over 
and help them implement functional medicine into the Chinese healthcare system. And, and as part of that, uh, we created the largest private clinical lab in China and about 48 uh, functional medicine clinical uh, centers around uh, China. And I had the distinct hmm. pleasure of, of actually being uh, one of the um, uh, physicians for uh, President Xi, the president of China, who, by oh, the wow. way, is a very, very smart man. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's um, great. Yeah. Uh, so there, uh, I was in China seven years and, and began to really miss uh, the United States and my kids and my friends and, and uh, I was thinking about coming back. And I'd been following Viome, of course, uh, because they uh, were doing groundbreaking work in the microbiome field. Uh, and I knew their chief medical officer. And uh, when she heard that I was coming back, she said, oh, you, you've got you've to talk to Naveen Jain, who was on your show a few weeks ago, and, and let him tell you about Viome. So the, the funny part of this is uh, I thought, okay, you know, I'm coming back and I'll, I'll do some consulting and you know, be on a scientific advisory board and write some more books and things. And, and Naveen says, uh, no, you're coming to work full time. And I said, no, I can't come to work full time. He said, yes, you're coming to work full time. So here I am, uh, seven days a week, um, 16 hours a day. Well, that's, yeah, that's more than full time. That's crazy. Yeah, well, you know, we're changing. We're, change, we're, we're in a fortunate position to be disrupting the healthcare industry and change the world. And this is what I love to do. And this is what our team loves to do. So, um, you know, what else would I be doing? So it's great. Yeah. Why is why does the microbiome fit into functional medicine? And what, you know, just give ah. listeners the definition of functional medicine versus uh, traditional medicine. Sure, and then, and then I can give a little uh, definition more of the microbiome uh, as well, especially how it fits in. So functional medicine is really a system uh, of how a physician thinks about uh, and works with their patient. It's a system that recognizes that virtually all disease starts with our genetic potential and the interaction of the environment with that. Um, and, and a functional medicine doctor is continuously looking for the root cause of disease. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of Western medicine is treating symptoms. And, and, you know, I don't need to go over what's so often, but, you know, somebody has arthritis, so they go to a doctor and they get a drug, which lowers inflammation uh, in, in, you know, in their joints, but of course has all kinds of side effects and does nothing to find out why they have arthritis or cure it. So functional medicine attempts through advanced laboratory testing and, and techniques of, uh, of evaluating the patient to find out what's the cause. And, and you know, and the cause of arthritis didn't happen last week. It, it started, you know, maybe five years ago or, or, or 20 years ago. So that's what we try to un- uncover. Um, okay. And there's a, a, and then you know, here's a real lay down, but how important is the microbiome you're seeing to, uh, you know, a person's well-being? Well, this is why I, I, I'm, I'm back working seven days a week because you know, 20, 30 years ago, we suspected that the microbiome was important. You know, and throughout history, yogurt's been very important for maintaining uh, good health. And we had lots of inferences about its, its, its effect. Well, in the past mm-hmm. four years, the, with the development of the, the next-gen sequencing equipment, looking at DNA and RNA um, of both cells, uh, human body cells and, and then other organism cells, we began to realize that the microbiome is actually the root cause of virtually every chronic disease, whether it's diabetes, autism, depression, Parkinson, um, obesity, heart disease, uh, even whether cancer drugs uh, are being effective or not. We now know that it's based on the person's microbiome and that if somebody has a disordered microbiome, that cancer drug actually could be harmful to them. 
And that's why it's only effective, you know, maybe 20% of the people. So every wow. week I am constantly amazed. And again, we've been doing this for a long time. Every week there's some new insight about the incredible importance. You know, depression. Um, who, who knew before the microbiome was the main producer of serotonin, the drug that, uh, the hormone rather, that, you know, keeps us uh, happy. Uh, and when the microbiome is not producing yeah. enough, we get, the, we get depressed. So did, did, did no. Naveen share with you on the show his, his story about uh, the microbiome developing in, in, in humans? Do you remember? He told me, <laughs> he told me yeah. a funny story about it, the, the, yeah. you know, yeah. from the microbiome perspective itself, that they envisioned creating this human to be a carrier right. for them and would protect them. And yeah. I think that, that was a really hilarious story. Well, even though it, it, was, it was told somewhat tongue-in-cheek, mm. every week the evidence mounts that there's actually a fair amount of truth in that. I know, you know, it, it, it's, it's mind-boggling to even think about that, other than the humorous. How do you feel about yourself as a person, and how, do you, how is your perspective on you as a person and other people changed by what you've learned? I, mean, I know it's probably a really difficult question, but... What are your thoughts around that? Like, what do, how do you see yourself and other people now differently from what you've learned? Well, uh, on a personal level, it, it, it's just why I'm here uh, on the planet. Um, you know, when I, when I evaluate myself and you know, I look inside, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? How do I contribute? Um, what's my passion? Um, mm -hmm. And it, it's just why I'm here. It, it, it's a way to, to give people information to, to make make choices. And, and it turns out the area that I've been just fortunate, you know, just um, fortuitously involved a long time ago, turns out to be now the one that is revolutionizing healthcare. And if you look out five years from now, uh, uh, healthcare, 90% will be involved with the microbiome. I mean, wow. you know, uh, breast cancer, uh, the breast tissues have their own microbiome and it's, dis it's disordered in women who get breast cancer. Um, so every place you look, I've asked a lot of people about the microbiome. We've done a series on it. And everyone always talks about the gut microbiome and that the gut microbiome lives like your colon and all that stuff. Where in the body are there other colonies of microbiome, you know, of, of microbes? Are sure. they everywhere in your body? Are they not in certain places? Like, do these colonies interact? Do so, they have their own territory? Like, what do you see? <laughs> so let's start with the planet, okay? So planet Earth has a microbiome. Uh, so a microbiome, when we say that word, we're referring to these one-cell little bitty organisms that you might call bacteria, parasites, fungi, viruses, phages. Okay, those are the, those we mean by the microbiome. And they live in the air, the water, and the soil. In the soil, uh, they would allow plants to grow, the bacteria to grow properly. In the air, you know, they're part of why we can uh, make breads taste so delicious and why you can make beer, you know, the yeast in the air, for example. In the human body or in animals, they live uh, everywhere. They live on our skin. They're now shown to be the key aspect of, of aging of our skin related to inflammation, both the external uh, microbiome on the skin surface and the internal one. They live in our ears, our nose, our mouth. Uh, the oral aspect microbiome is very critical for developing uh, gum diseases and actually for developing heart disease, depending on the microbiome in one's mouth. Um, and then the main activity of the microbiome is in the gut. So uh, as Naneem, I mentioned, there are 40 trillion, you know, uh, cells, the microbiome, you know, our human body, you know, has like, you know, a few million uh, cells. 
uh, and the DNA activity, uh, metabolic activity of the microbiome in our gut um, is, you know, a thousand of times more powerful than the whole DNA activity, microbiome, metabolic activity of our cells. So it's, it's a bigger organism. It's, it's a more powerful. It produces more chemicals. It produces more meta- metabolic activity than the rest of our body. So they, they live everywhere, and we're now noticing that they, they communicate together. And, and the microbiome in our intestines actually communicate with light. They have little pulse light signals. They, they communicate back and forth. They can move around as different colonies of different species, communicate with each other, and, and, and talk and say, let's move over here, let's, let's do this over here. Um, it's just a whole separate world. And we just now have the tools to see what's happening. And every scientist is just like shaking their heads. They can't believe what they find. Yeah, that's crazy. Is there any, I mean, this may be a really crazy question. Is there any evidence of a second brain that uh, um, an yeah. emergent property of all the, you know, all the stuff that goes on in your gut? Or is that ridiculous? Yes. Oh, no. The, um, uh, a lot of evidence and a, and a lot of um, uh, discussion uh, about that. It, it turns out that what we've been thinking about our brain, you know, the organ in, in top of our head, it, it looks like maybe up to 80% of what it does is just executing signals coming from the gut microbiome. 20% might be involved in independent, you know, creative thought that, that, that we think about. Um, really? Uh, but yes, 80% is, is executing the signals coming up through the vagus nerve. Um, so there's a direct communication from the gut right to the vagus nerve up to the brain. That's only that was discovered, I don't know, a year ago, I guess. Um, and then all the chemicals, uh, the metabolites uh, that go there, that cross the blood brain barrier. And then, of course, the hormones um, like uh, serotonin and things like that. The gut has an in, appears to have an independent. Um, process of thought. When it gets hungry, it, it, it wants us to eat. It actually, if, if there's certain bacteria there that, that ones that like sugar a lot, it's why people crave sugar. If, if we have an imbalance of that bacteria, they're telling the brain to eat sugar. It sounds like um, our, we're the president, you know, of the country and uh, the bacteria are all our constituents. So they have tremendous influence. We still maybe, I guess, run the show, but they have tremendous influence in most of what goes on. Is that accurate? Well, yes, and again, uh, pushing the envelope, um, the information that comes out on a weekly basis is, starts to suggest it's, it's more than that. Um, it, it's more than just an influence. It, it, there's a, there appears to be an independent um, community that wants to survive on its terms and that it, it influences us in ways um, to help it survive. So what are, what are some of the influences? You, you said it could uh, make us crave sugar. Mm-hmm. It can yeah, make us crave sugar. change our it, mood? It oh, absolutely. So our, our mood um, depends a lot on, on a, a chemical called serotonin. Um, people who are depressed, for example, or, or unhappy um, have low levels of serotonin. And it turns out that the microbiome is responsible for making 80% of the serotonin. And so sure. keeping the microbiome happy, which we're learning about what that means, keep microbiome happy, the, then it produces more serotonin and, and we feel happier. What about um, what we eat? I mean, the microbiome, I guess, quote unquote, eats first, and then it produces right. all kinds of uh, chemicals and things that help us and it helps digest things. I mean, what, what percentage of the responsibility for 
processing the food we eat goes to the microbiome and hmm. what percentage so, of the benefit well, goes to it as well? Sure. So, uh, so a lot of the processing, which let's call digestion uh, for the moment, um, uh, occurs through um, in the stomach and the small intestine through the production of, of digestive enzymes, hydrochloric acid and pancreatic enzymes and bile enzymes and things like that. So that's what's breaking down the food into chemical constituents. Okay, so the the microbiome doesn't appear to care care whether it's uh, whether it's pear or you know or banana. Um, they're looking for the chemicals that are being broken down that might be uniquely involved in that, or the fibers that might be that they can ferment that might be involved in different foods. So the the foods that we eat and don't eat um, are a uh, primary determinant of both the diversity of the microbiome and the components, the constituents of it. Uh, and, and by diversity, there are about 8,000 different species of, of bacteria, and we want to have the largest diversity. We want to have the most of those. Um, and if you have a large diversity, that, that's uh, related to healthy aging over the long term. So how much, how much redundancy? It's, you know, it's, it's funny. You think like, <clears throat> okay, you need as much diversity as possible, and there's thousands of species, but... I mean, have people tried to evaluate at a base level how many species are needed to live um, versus live well, and is there a lot of redundancy? You know, let's say, like, um, is a certain bacteria that keeps my gut lining intact. Is it just one that does that, or are there 10 different species that do that? Um, you know, how many make serotonin? Are there, like, 20 different species that do that, or just one? You know, how resilient is the gut to change Mm -hmm. Good, good question, Rich. Um, it, it appears that that is not just one species um, in any of those things that you mentioned, and it appears that's the interaction of various species um, that are uh, the key component. That's why what what Viome does um, uh, when we do a sequencing of of everything that's found in in the gut, um, we're looking at the the RNA expression. So remember, uh, DNA doesn't do anything by itself. It just expresses um, through RNA. Um, so we're looking at actually what's happening, what's being expressed by all the different bacteria, viruses, phages, um, uh, parasites, the fungi, et cetera. And that's what, uh, you know, upregulates, for example, the, an inflammation uh, pathway. So it's a number of things contributing to it. It's not just one. Uh, it's the whole community um, that is out of balance. So it's very complex. You know, we, we evaluate over a million pieces of data for, for uh, each person through the artificial intelligence engine. So this is a, a, a hmm. giant big data um, uh, endeavor, I guess. And, and so the research that, that comes out here every week is, is partly a matter of the incredible processing power that we now have to, to evaluate the data. What is, what is the, so, um, is there, I, 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 I'm reaching for words, but, what does the microbiome like governance system look like? Are there <laughs> hierarchies of bacteria? Maybe I don't know, maybe it's ridiculous, but are there hierarchies of bacteria that control other groups, or are they just kind of all yes. work together in like a community? Or what does it look like there? I think that information is is all still in process, um, uh, and we're learning uh, we're learning about that. There are obviously there are obviously dominant species um, uh, of bacteria and. and uh, now we measure down to the strain level because we find the same uh, that one a particular species of bacteria, the different strains 
um, actually have different effects. So in, in the past, we could only measure down say, to, to the species level, um, and we were we were one, you know, we were ascribing effects uh, to those. And I want to find out that even the same species, different strains of that actually uh, do different things in the body. So that that's oh, is all, there? Um, I thought species was the lowest level. Like, what is the strain? Is that like strain. a dialect of a language or? Uh, How does a strain yeah, differ think, for um, a species? Uh, I guess that that would be a, that would be a good layperson description. What you just said. Okay, so even within, um, like, yeah. what's a what's a I don't know. Um, what would they call a strain of that, for instance? Like, how would you? Uh, where would that show up? Where would you it see would that? Have an, it would have another. It would have another another word after it. So you've seen. All right. So there can so be many many strains. Seen, so now now bacteria. that we can look at the strain level through the the whole shotgun. Uh, uh, genome sequencing and then look at the metascriptome uh, that we can see the uh, uh, down to the strain level of what's happening. And again, again, a year ago, nobody could see it. Why could no one see it a year ago? And why now? What what allowed you guys to be able to see that level? The technology of the sequencing, how many how many reads you could do and uh, cost basis. Um, I guess it was possible a few years ago, but the cost was so high that nobody did it. Okay. So with the sequencing, with the sequencing costs um, uh, coming down, it allows us to do much more in-depth uh, uh, look at what's what's happening. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I won't say the name, but I, I, um, you know, I've had a couple of companies analyze my gut microbiome, and I've gotten back, I guess, just the genus name, right? Like uh, one said I had right. Curvibacter. But they didn't give any particular right. species or strain, and it really didn't tell me anything. I mean, yeah. Is that information exactly. useless because, because there's so many different strains that do different things? Um, well, it's 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 useless in in um, uh, two ways. Um, one, they're using what's called 16s uh, RNA um, uh, technology, which is uh, probably four or five years um, uh, old, and that they're just measuring one little piece of uh, of it. And so they can only get down um, uh, to that to that level. And in addition, they are just measuring the DNA. So the DNA is like just taking a snapshot picture, and you don't know if they're dead or alive, uh, if they're active or inactive. Uh, a good example is if you were if you were flying over uh, New York City, 5,000 feet in a plane, and you look down and you said, "Oh, okay, I can see." Uh, there's maybe 60% women there and 40% men. And there's some old people, some young people. And oh, in New York, the, there's a very, very high crime rate. Therefore, the women must be uh, more criminals than men. So you just can't make, which obviously is not true, uh, but you can't okay. make those inferences when you look at that high level. And that's what all the 16S um, uh, companies are are, are doing. Um, and it's a matter of cost. Okay. So they're they're using that uh, five-year-old technology because it's it's become um, uh, you know somewhat uh, inexpensive, um, I guess. Okay. So so, so when uh, when someone sends a sample into Viome, what are they getting that they're not getting from other companies? Like what what will my report look like, for instance? They're they're getting um, the RNA expression of the DNA. Of, of everything that's in there, not just not just the bacteria, but uh, uh, every organism—the bacteria, the viruses, the phages, the fungi, the parasites. If we find one in a million uh, in the transcriptome, then we're then we're reporting it. And the reason RNA is so important is because now we can understand what they're doing and not doing. So we know 
um, if, if certain things are being expressed in certain ways, that that's turning on uh, an inflammatory pathway. Or we know that we're not producing enough, um, you know, butyric acid, one of the one of the very important short chain fatty acids. Or we know if there's RNA shedding from the intestinal cells, we can tell that that's causing a leaky gut. And 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 amazingly, while we don't r- report this, um, we can tell what food someone's eating. We can tell if they're smokers. We can tell if they're, if they're a drinker. We can of alcohol. We can tell uh, what toxic chemicals they've been exposed to, because it all shows up wow. in, the, in the microbiome. That's amazing. It's crazy. What, so what is your AI doing? What is it trying to determine when it looks at a sample? So the AI is, is evaluating which of, of all these um, pathways um, are being upregulated or downregulated, and, and then associating that with um, what foods uh, will influence and get them back in the right direction and, and what, what foods um, could be causing uh, the inf- inf- inflammatory cascade, for example, and therefore should be avoided. And it's going to be different in in for each person. So what um, what will a sample report look like? Does it give me? Are you allowed to give recommendations on what to eat or what to avoid or what you know what comes yeah. out of the report? Yeah. I get my report. What do I do? So you get your report, and and there are three or four uh, sections. The report, by the way, comes on a uh, iOS or Android app. Um, and when you get it, there's an artificial intelligence chat bot, which will walk you through various aspects uh, of the report. But in the beginning, there are some kind of general uh, indexes, a wellness index, a, a digestive index, a, uh, a metabolic index um, that shows how you, how you compare diversity index, how you compare in general uh, to the rest of the population. Um, then there are the details of what's been found, um, a listing of, of everything that's active or, or should be active. And you can drill down if someone wants to, you know, those names um, and, and see exactly what they mean and what, and what they do and what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, and then from there, it, it eventually leads you to the whole uh, nutrition and, and diet section where the key part of the recommendations in that section, of course, is here's a list of foods that are your superfoods. These are the foods you should eat uh, frequently. Here's a list of foods that you'd have moderate amounts of. Here's a list of foods that you'd eat infrequently. Here's a list of foods that you should avoid. And from that, you put together uh, a proper nutritional diet, you know, taking into account, um, you know, protein, carbs, and fats, um, et cetera. So just because something's on the superfood list doesn't mean you should eat that, only those five foods, you know, seven days a week. That, that would not be right, right. Uh, healthy. You know, that's, that's yeah, I was going to ask you, experimentally or anecdotally, <clears throat> um, have you had people get the report and change their diet according to the recommendations and what happens to them? Have you gotten feedback from people? Have you done Oh, it? absolutely. Yeah. You know, we get hundreds of, of, of testimonials every day um, uh, from, from people with the changes. And the short-term changes, because we're lowering the inflammation cascade for most people who have uh, you know, inflammation turned on, um, they're going to sleep better, more energy. If they're overweight, they're going to lose weight. Uh, so even though this is not a, uh, a, a diet, for weight loss, people who are overweight lose weight. Um, huh. on, the, on the Dr. Oz show two weeks ago, a 30-minute show about biome, he had had members of his audience from four months before do the test. We didn't know he was doing this. Do the test, and they huh. came in uh, on the show um, as a surprise to us. And, and two of the people around there happened to have been uh, uh, way overweight, obese, 
and they both lost like 70 pounds. And again, nothing really? to do with calories. This is this is not count, counting calories. That's right. why most diets don't work. I mean, you know, uh, if diets worked, there wouldn't be a new diet book out every week, right? Uh, they don't work because well, no also what too, if, if 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 the same diet works for everybody, there also wouldn't be 50 million diets either. You know, even if they did right. Work. Right, exactly, exactly. Huh. So the the key is the key is a personalized, healthy diet. Um, you know, like, um, whether know. it's for can athletes. You, can you yeah. give me a few case studies, or can you talk about maybe yourself or Naveen or someone like, um, you know, maybe your own report? Like, did you do this? What did you see? Any particulars in your report? What changes did you make, and what happened to you? What did you experience? Sure. Um, so, uh, or or are you a McDonald's eater and you don't care? <laughs> I was always, I've always been a very healthy eater. Um, so what's interesting is because it's, because people understand this personalized aspect of it for them, they then get inspired to make the changes. And we know that making a change is difficult. You know, everybody knows you should probably exercise more. Well, that, that, that's hard to do because you're changing a habit. Um, so changing people's food habits you know, there's a, uh, there's a whole lot of psychological aspects to that, cultural aspects to it. It's difficult. So we found that, that the approach uh, of this personalized aspect to people understand um, provides a, a good part of the inspiration. Um, so, so for me, there were, so I, I'm actually a vegetarian. Um, and so for me, there were several vegetables um, that were on my avoid uh, list, uh, I guess about four, that I had been eating frequently. Um, and I eliminated those and then modified uh, some other protein uh, sources, uh, not as often as I had been eating them. Uh, made, they were in the moderate list, um, soy and mm-hmm. some other ones. And what I found is, so I've been generally very healthy, very active, exercise actually a couple hours a day, good energy. Um, what I found is as I came uh, actually back uh, to the States and, and joined Viome, now, uh, uh, you know, I think somebody else would have been um, pretty exhausted with this new um, work pace. I found that I had the same energy as I've always had, even though I was now working uh, seven days a week and 16 hours a day. So uh, oh. that would be the main thing that, that I noticed um, is that I could now I have a lot more depth uh, of energy and probably mental clarity as well. That's great. So I, I, I didn't have I didn't end up with any kind of brain fog, even though. Um, uh, uh, you know, doing a lot. Um, that that's you know, people sleep better. Um, uh, there's some athletes um, whose performance they feel uh, have have improved. Um, people p- t- people have what we call you know GI uh, concerns. Um, uh, they those flare ups uh, tend to either get reduced or go away pretty quickly within a few weeks. How long does it people take for people to experience quickly. benefits? Uh, well, yeah, what's pretty quickly, like a few days yeah, or a few yeah, weeks? Or? Yeah, uh, uh, a few weeks. Some people, some people, uh, certainly, you know, in three or four or five days. But on the average, um, you know, three three to four weeks. What, what, yeah, well, do you have um, people that come back and then sample again a few months later? And, yes. Like, what happens when you, when I change my diet, when I have less of this and more of that and I eliminate this, and what happens to my microbiome? What am I doing to them? You're... So you're in, so number one, you're increasing your diversity. And as I mentioned, that's important for two aspects. One, it's important, as I mentioned, in terms of just general health, long-term longevity, uh, and healthy living. We know diversity is associated with that. Secondly, 
a more diverse microbiome means it's more stable. So for most people who don't have a lot of diversity here in the United States because of antibiotic use and, and poor diet, okay, their microbiome is, is changing all the time. It's not very stable. A little bitty insults to it make dramatic changes. Um, the health is always shifting. Um, so one thing that, that the personalized diet does is increases the diversity. So now you have a more stable microbiome over time. Why does it increase the diversity? What, what is it? Does it kill certain, does it starve certain bacteria to death if I stop having, uh, you know, blackberries? Um, you know, so, if I start so having like Brussels sprouts, does it attract other ones? Like what does it do? Uh, it's not that we want to necessarily kill off any bacteria because diversity means more. Um, we want to stop uh, or reduce uh, what they're doing. So we want to get them to play better as part of the community. I guess that's a, a simple way to play it. We want them to be better players in, uh, in this very complex community ecosystem. So it's not that we're killing them off. It's just that we're retraining them, if you will, um, uh, to, to play a different role. So we want to have as do many get, different kinds as possible. Do I, do I get new bacteria? Like if I eat a certain, um, I don't know, if I start eating seaweed or something, will I actually attract somehow new bacteria into my gut that can digest that seaweed or something new? You'll, you'll, um, you'll feed uh, ones that maybe are there in teeny, teeny amounts, and you'll, you'll allow ones that you're being exposed to um, to colonize. So we're being exposed, you know, everywhere. Uh, recent research shows that people who have dogs, for example, have uh, increased um, diversity because they're, they're getting exposed to more bacteria just by petting their dogs and things like that. People who play in the dirt. Um, <laughs> farmers uh, have a more diverse mm -hmm. um, back, uh, microbiome. So we're, we're allowing the ones that are there in very, very small amounts um, to start to populate more. And then ones that we take in in all kinds of ways, we're allowing them to colonize by the right the right diet. Okay. Yeah, I was just wondering because yeah. I was wondering why it increases the diversity. So it's diversity you already have. It just changes the the, the number of the different a, a profile that is that is producing more beneficial metabolite and uh, and not producing harmful metabolite. So have you um. Have you guys identified, um, I don't know if you're allowed to say it, but have you identified um, foods that are universally bad for people or um, ones that are almost besides, universally besides, good? Or, besides donuts? Um. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, seriously, are there any statements you can make about things that appear to be almost universally bad or almost universally good? I don't think so. I mean, uh, you know, well, we're talking, yeah. talking about sugar, but you know, not a food, but certainly sugar would be universally not helpful. Okay. No, I was just curious if you had seen that. Because um, yeah. you said you could tell yeah. if someone's a smoker. So this is my next, my next question. What kind of um, prizing things have you seen in people's guts? You know, like uh, do some people have bacteria that you've never seen before or you know, they have very odd mixes of bacteria? Like what, what are some of the insights you've gotten from seeing all these uh, well, profiles? The, the surprising thing we just learned, um, I think, three or four weeks ago, um, which, to my knowledge, has not been known before. Uh, I could be wrong. Um, and that's that the uh, bacteria can produce uh, estrogen. I don't think anyone had an idea that the bacteria could produce estrogen. We knew it could affect huh. various pathways that estrogen was involved in, um, uh, but it's actually producing estrogen. And that has not been, I don't believe, known. And this is, this is monumental, staggering, and 
And uh, as people start to research this now, uh, we're liable to find out some very interesting implications from it. And, and therefore, wow. there are probably other ones that they're doing as well that we don't know. So when someone becomes your customer, um, what's the process? You know, do you uh, do they pay a certain amount and then you send them a kit, they send you their sample, and then you send them back results? Or you know, what's the customer flow? What does it look like? Customer flow is pretty simple. Um, they, they purchase a kit, um, uh, which has a, uh, uh, a device in it for collecting stool. Very simple and easy. It's a very small amount of, of stool. The pre prepaid mailer back to the, the laboratory. Um, they activate uh, their kit uh, online through an iOS or Android app. Um, they get sent back three weeks or less uh, later. They're notified that the results are ready and then they can um, walk through the results. So a very simple process. Okay, and again, in the results, you'll tell them, uh, hey, these, this is what the bacteria and what strains you have. You, you tell them what kind of phages and viruses and parasites and other yeah. stuff they have too, or just bacteria? Yes, everything. Oh, wow, okay. Everything, everything we find is the one in a million of the transcriptome. Do people get scared if they see like they have a certain kinds of parasites or viruses in them, and should they be worried or? You know, what, what kind of insights have you gotten from uh, not just the bacteria, but the other creatures that are in there? Um, I don't. I don't know that people get get scared. Now we're we're a wellness company, so we're not we're not treating you know any particular diseases. Um, so uh, someone sees those, they can and we tell them a little bit about them, and then they can they can um, if they if they choose to then talk to their healthcare provider and ask them for. Uh, further uh, advice or information on it. Okay. All right. What, uh, any yeah, implications so that you guys have seen of having various viruses or parasites or phages in in your gut biome? From from our our perspective, they're they're intimate parts of the community. So again, just in the past few years, the understandings have been that um, that what we thought of the gut microbiome and, and traditionally thought of them as well, you know if you go back a while. When gastroenterologists or physicians thought about the microbiome or the bacteria or parasites in our gut, they thought of them as, as things that just kind of created, you know, dysentery and diarrhea and, and stuff like that. And people just weren't yeah. thinking of this, of this healthy, complex uh, community. Um, and, and the same with viruses and stuff. So now we find out that, that viruses play a, play a role and phages play a role um, in, in what's happening in, in terms of our health and in the proper functioning of this very dynamic community. So they're yeah. they're all members and they're all doing their roles. There's less understood about those at the moment than than bacteria, um, but uh, again, every week we learn more more things about what what they're doing, what their role is, and it appears that most of their role is beneficial. You know, what what kind of things do you hope to learn over the next few years about the microbiome? Are there specific questions that you want answered? What I would like to learn, and and I think we we will learn is, and again, this is not what Viome does um, at the moment, but how we truly can keep and manipulate people to have a healthy um, uh, microbiome uh, and therefore uh, lower dramatically slash eliminate um, their risk of chronic disease. So, okay. um, uh, yeah, that's what I believe um, is possible, and um, I, I would love to uh, be around and be part of part of seeing that actually happening, and we're talking about around the world. I mean, we, you know, uh, we want to make this as affordable as as possible. So this is not just for um, you know first world uh, countries and the United States and Europe and, and and what have you. 
this is important for everybody around the world. So we want to be part of getting the cost down where, where, where cost is not a factor and people anywhere in the world having information to make these choices. And of course, then having the ability to, uh, to have access to uh, the proper foods and clean water and stuff like that. And uh, we we haven't mentioned there's a couple more questions. Um, we haven't talked about probiotics. Do you feel like um, it's better to just change what you eat to affect your microbiome, or do you think probiotics can help, or they're not really useful? Or I think probiotics can have a role. I think prebiotics are, are even more important um, than probiotics. And prebiotics are, are are the are the foods um, uh, for um, probiotics. So I, I think that's that's the first line uh, of change. Um, uh, probiotics can be important in terms of, of short-term use to affect some kind of change. The truth is, um, at this point, most of them don't colonize, um, number one. And number two, you know, go to a health food store and look at the probiotic um, uh, probiotics on, on the shelf. And there's 50 different ones. They all have different combinations of, of, of probiotics in them. What should anybody take? Um, mm. we, we identify and we can recommend um, sometimes some very specific ones that would be beneficial to someone to take on a, on a short-term basis. Um, but at the moment, uh, there is no good way of identifying, you know, a, a, a quote formula that someone should be taking. There are companies that do that, but they're just um, slash uh, quote making it up um, from a scientific uh, uh, Yeah, I, I don't know. This is a crazy idea. Would there be a way to um, get a sample of someone's gut bacteria and then culture um, a sample from their existing bacteria that has better ratios and then give that to them as a probiotic. It's like a truly customized one that has their ideal uh, mix that they would take. Uh, possibly. Um, if, if, you, uh, if you know about uh, FMT, fecal microbial transplant. Uh, you know, uh, so that's where um, uh, they're using a stool a sample from somebody else, a healthy donor, and transplanting it into, at this point, someone who has a very life-threatening condition called C. difficile infection. That's a, a bacteria um, which often leads to death in older people or immunocompromised people. So, uh, and, back, and antibiotic regimes are not very effective uh, against it, and it appears the only thing that's really effective is this FMT, fecal microbial transplant. Um, that's become very popular. Um, actually, it actually started in China uh, 800 years ago. It was yellow soup, it was called. Uh, people drank it. Uh, and, and actually, now the, they don't have to even do the transplant rectally. They uh, have frozen capsules um, that you can take, which are just as effective as the, uh, as the rectal implant. This is done under a, a physician supervision. And at the moment, uh, in terms of the FDA, they're allowing it for the C. difficile infection uh, to the public, um, but the, but there's a lot of research going on with it in terms of uh, all the other gastrointestinal diseases such as ill you know, bowel syndrome and ulcerative colitis and uh, even autism and things like that. But if you if you so if you extend that FM, this procedure to kind of what you're talking about, yes, um, uh, it's certainly certainly possible, and, and uh, we we will see that um, there are drug companies. Um, who uh, I mean, all the major drug drug companies are investing hundreds of millions of dollars into research into um, uh, the microbiome and genetically, because their their take is you know okay, let's genetically engineer you know bacteria or precursors and stuff like that. That's one approach. Right. The other approach is identifying 
the metabolites um, that are, are missing um, or low production and either give them um, like butyric acid or something or, or, or try to manipulate the bacteria, which we're doing through food, um, to produce more of, of those missing or low, low metabolites. Okay. So then, many uh, approaches, many, many companies are, are, you know, have been funded. There are a few public, uh, three or four public companies um, that are all looking at ways to develop therapeutic interventions from somehow manipulating the microbiome. Okay. Or these, are, these are for specific, for specific diseases. So when biome is done, of right. course, is we're not function, focusing on a specific disease. We're functioning on, on, on wellness, which includes many things. Well, all right, this is my last question. I know I've questioned you to death, but um, any recommendations when someone gets sick and they have to take antibiotics, you know, which I've heard ravages your microbiome, can, any recommendations on what they could do food-wise or supplement-wise to help mitigate the uh, the damage that antibiotics does? Sure. Um, and by the way, the, 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 the recent research shows that it actually causes a disorder. If you're, when you take antibiotics, it has a three to five year effect in disordering the, the uh, microbiome. So it's not just a, you know, a, a month effect that actually disorders. It takes that long for, for the microbiome to start to recover. If someone doesn't do anything specifically about it. Um, so, yeah, so, so, so prebiotics, probiotics, both in terms of, of supplements that are available. Um, and then people can just Google um, uh, prebiotic foods and, and you'll get a list of like the 10 foods um, that contain inulin and other fibers that um, are good prebiotics. Onions, garlic, leeks, uh, Jerusalem artichoke, um, black seed, uh, a couple of ones off the top of my head. But there's a good 10 or 12 foods that are, that are, are excellent prebiotics along with prebiotic formulas that they can buy from the supplement industry. So take those. Um, uh, also, of course, um, people you know, might consider um, uh, any kind of, of uh, antifungal uh, agents because that's one of the first things to start to over-colonize after antibiotic use hmm. or, or yeast or group of yeast. And then, and then some kind of broad-spectrum probiotic. Okay, very good. That, that's what I would do. Okay, no, that's helpful. That's helpful. All right, so uh, how do people get in contact with Viome, you know, either to ask questions or become a customer or to, you know, talk about possible business well, ventures? Uh, Viome.com, people who want to talk about business ventures, um, Viome.com slash uh, uh, business partners, um, people who want to become involved uh, as, as ambassadors and help spread the word, Viome.com uh, slash partners. And there's a customer service line, which I don't know the phone number to, um, also to call and, and uh, talk to people. Yeah, no, thank, thank you so much. I know I asked you 8 million questions, but uh, you get a lot of knowledge, and I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Oh, sure. You know, and, and uh, you, know, uh, you know, future tech, right, podcast. And, and uh, I'm talking in Qatar uh, next week at the, at the Futures Now uh, conference, and that's what it is. You know, the future is now. It's not three or five or ten years from now. We've got self-driving cars, and we've got the microbiome and health and uh, artificial intelligence engines and it's all happening now. It's just so exciting to be alive. Very good. Very good. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. 
As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000-plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to BFTExpo.com. That's BlockchainFutureTechExpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.